Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uh, hi and welcome to 3CR, uh, Living Free program. 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show highlighting the issues around homelessness in Melbourne. Uh, my name's Bill and for the next hour my guests will be sharing their journey of recovery from active alcoholism. I'd like to welcome Di and Stuart to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. Hi Bill. Hi. As members of Alcoholics Anonymous they'll share their experience with alcoholism and how AA has helped them. Now we usually start with um, I, I guess what it was like growing up and what, what the situation was and what, what things sort of drew you into alcoholism. So, Di, do you want to sort of start off? Sure. Okay. Hi. Um, yeah, hi, Bill. Hi, Stu. Um, yeah, my name's Di and I'm an alcoholic. And, um, yeah, look, I, um, as a young child, you know, I grew up in a home where, <clears throat> you know, I grew up where alcohol was, um, you know, most of my adult, my parents used alcohol. Um, it was a, around and, um, you know, and I never, you know, I didn't grow up in a home where there wasn't alcohol. So as a young lady growing up or a child growing up, it was just normal to see adults using alcohol as um, lubricant to enjoy themselves. So, you know, when I started to, you know, evolve to my teenage years, I, um, I did the same, you know, monkey see, monkey do, and I never questioned that um, alcohol might have a problem in my life. And um, when I found myself um, <clears throat> as a 14, 15-year-old, you know, radiating towards um, sneaking that alcohol and having a drink and seeing what this mysterious liquor was that I saw my parents enjoying and others. Right. <laughs> so um, a lot of alcoholics talk about it having a, I guess, a, a very comforting feeling, so it just feel as if you fit in for the first time ever. Did you experience those sort of things? Well, the very first time I had a drink of alcohol, I got really drunk, and I can remember how fabulous I felt <clears throat> on my way to getting really drunk. And it um, lit me up like the sky, so to say. And, um, yeah, I really... Um, <clears throat> you know, the um, I was quite a shy um, young girl, and uh, when I drank alcohol, it gave me confidence. It helped me fit in. It helped me feel normal, and um, and I was able to handle situations that um, were a bit daunting for me, especially through those teenage years. So, yeah, I um, I drank for the effect that alcohol produced in me from a very young age. Right. And did you suffer blackouts? Definitely. Yeah. Yes, my first drink was a blackout. Right. And my last drink was a blackout. Right. So, and there's thirty years in between. Right. Okay. Mm. Um, okay. So, Stu, what? How did you? get into drinking what sort of led you to think about a drink okay well I'll have to take you back Bill to um, my first day at school and I had a very traumatic experience um, uh, I was very scared and I was crying a lot and the teacher locked me into a janitor's cupboard um, and when she let me out I, I ran home um, and I had a very traumatic experience at school and from that day onwards, during my um, school years, I felt that I didn't fit in. And for me, humiliation was around every corner. I was the skinny guy. I couldn't make friends. I was always one of those guys that was against the system at school, getting into trouble a lot. Um, and 
when I found alcohol at the age of 14, um, and that was in a situation where me and a friend from school, we stole some wine out of mum's cupboard and we went to the park and uh, we drank the wine, um, quite a bit of wine. Um, yeah, that too lit me up like Di said. Um, you know, I, that, that guilt and shame that I'd carry, carried with me for many years, um, that went away and the world was a, a better place. Um, and uh, even though, you know, I, uh, we, we staggered around and I fell in the rose bushes and cut myself, you know, uh, I couldn't stop laughing at the effects that it gave me. Right. Yeah. It's <laughs> good, um, isn't it? Yeah. So, so from then onwards, I, um, I couldn't wait for the next chance I had to experience that feeling again. So at the start, yeah, Bill, it was um, uh, a positive experience for me. It, it, it actually was my solution at that stage in my life. Yep. Okay. Um, so, did other did you mix with other people who drank? Yes. So, so at school, uh, I made choices based on my love for alcohol. The people that I knocked around with were were people that would drink a lot on Friday and Saturday nights. Would look forward to going out on Friday and Saturday nights, and we would drink for a purpose. We would drink to become extremely inebriated. And um, and that's the way we, we we would enjoy our night. So so whereas other people would be going out to experience, say, a show, or or, or visit visit like a, a memorial or something like that, we would be going out with the, with the, sh- the idea that we were going to drink a lot. And what happened after that? There were, there were no plans. Yeah, right. <laughs> so what did your parents think? Oh, look, I think during that time, um, mum and dad were very worried. Um, they didn't know what to do. Um, Mum was a psychotherapist and Dad uh, a minister of religion, so it's quite a mix to have as parents. Yep. And I think they tried quite a few things to sort me out. Um, and I've I, I, I seen psychiatrists and I've done a lot of Bible study and stuff like that to, 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 to help me, but uh, to no avail, to no avail. Yeah. So you didn't really think if you felt like you fitted in. You were sort of a, a round peg in a square hole. Correct. Yeah, correct. Um, yeah, so so it, 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 I did struggle a lot during those years and um, I did get in trouble with the law. Um, going into my 20s, I continued the uh, my love for alcohol and continued to hang around the, the um, mates that I had at school. Um, but slowly but surely, um, you know, I was the, the behaviours that I was exhibiting were... Um, not healthy behaviours, and the uh, law got involved. And, um, you know, th- there were times that uh, I had to attend court for offences and, um, you know, and I had the embarrassment and guilt and shame of having my uh, family in the court. Um, and But what that did actually, that actually gave me more guilt and shame. And my um, solution back then to shut my guilt and shame down was to pick up another drink or a drug. Right, okay. Um, so, Di, what was it like at school for you when you were drinking? And, you know, what was, how, did, how did the family sort of cope with you drinking at that age? Well, I think I wasn't at school to learn. I was at school to have fun. And um, I was always getting into trouble. And I was part of the group that were regularly wagging school, 
We would be having little gatherings at home at lunchtime. We'd be going missing from periods at school. And um, and I think my parents were pulling their hair out. You know, my father didn't know what to do with me. My mother was just as worried about me. I didn't know what, what all the fuss was about. And um, I just was having fun. But um, looking back now, I can see, you know, I know, I understand why they were so worried. Yeah. Because I eventually ended up um, getting expelled from school and um, my behaviour was unacceptable and I understand why today. But at the time I thought it was a very unfair decision yeah. and I didn't understand why. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what happened after that? So after you were expelled, did you go to another school? Um, I got a job in a milk bar actually, um, which um, wasn't really going to be my vacation in life. So... Um, I decided to, I went to a business college and I did a 12-month secretarial course and I knuckled down and I did that. And I, it was a little bit bumpy, but I graduated and, um, and my parents were very proud of me. They came to a graduation dinner and and I think they thought, you know, that I was coming out of this rebellious phase. But, um, you know, I, little, I can look back now and say, you know, that in spite of that, you know, I still continue to make some bad decisions and I seemed to have a radar internally that was drawn to um, people who um, like to drink alcohol like I do and to be as, um, you know, just impulsive and live in the moment rather than sort of planning for the future. I wasn't that type of young young woman growing up. So I can look back and see the danger signs yeah. that I was an alcoholic. Mm. So did you have low self-esteem? Did you feel inadequate? Definitely, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes, I always did. Yeah. And I masked that by being the class clown. Yeah. I masked that by being... Um, <clears throat> and it actually attracted attention, um, but in the wrong way. Yeah. And um, it was very hard. It was very hard work because um, I didn't fit in. I didn't feel like I fitted in. Um, and... Um, you know, no wonder the teachers were upset with me. No wonder I was expelled. But at the time, I didn't understand, really. Mm. Okay. Um, so, Stuart, what what happened to you in in school? Did did school accept you the way you were behaving? Well, I actually um, uh, have a private school at, um, education. I didn't finish it, actually, but because I got expelled as well... Um, <laughs> And yeah, like like Di, I was the, the 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 guy that was always against the system, and I think that stems from my first day at school when they locked me in the cupboard. I wasn't there to learn; I was there to have fun and uh, did a lot of wagging and um, and carrying on. You know, it just just um, in fact, in the end, I set fire to the uh, to the library right. and. Um, and uh, they weren't too happy about that. It didn't burn down the library, it burnt down the entrance of the library, but uh, um, I think it was my time to go when, when they found that out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so what, what did drinking do for you at that stage? Well, it gave me a social lubricant. It made me, it made me view the world in a, in a, in a different way, like, like um, I, was accept, I was accepted by the world. Um, it, it shut down a lot of feelings that, that I had in my life at the time. Um, yeah, it was just my solution to to my spiritual sickness that I had at that time and the, the emotional sickness that I had at the time. Yeah. You know, and looking back, um, like Di said, you know, like like I, I didn't realise that 
I was spiritually and emotionally sick back then. I was just running on self-will, doing the next best, best thing, which wasn't the next best thing. But, um, but you know, that was my solution at that time. And I, I, had, I had disregard for anybody that had help for me. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't think it was their business. So all the people that cared for me, like my family, my mother, father, um, brothers that cared for me, I... Um, I shut them away, and, um, and 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 I think that hurt them a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think um, the, with that situation, that the people closest to you, emotionally closest to you, are the ones least able to help you because you don't want their judgment. Yeah. Di, did you feel that your family was judging your behaviour? Oh, absolutely. I used to, um, you know, my dad. You know, my dad adored me, and um, but I thought that he was just um, too strict. And, um, you know, and, yeah, I just... Uh, our relationship, unfortunately, you know, really took a... Um, you know, he, he passed away 17 years ago, but he never... He died never really understanding what was wrong with his daughter, and it's um, quite sad. Yeah. Mm. So, um... Well, I guess most people don't really understand alcoholism. No. So do you want to just briefly explain what alcoholism, the, the twofold disease? Well, alcoholism um, as it is today or my understanding today about the, what the disease yep. is, okay. So my understanding today is that I never quite fit into the world and I had this... Um, on the inside of me, this hole in the soul that we talk about in the fellowship. And I always had low self-esteem and I felt I didn't quite fit in and less than. Now, where that came from, I don't know. <clears throat> I had two parents that loved and adored me. I was the eldest of four children, you know, and I believe, you know, that they gave me the best of what they had to give as parents. Um, you know, but there was something in me that just couldn't really fit into the world. I didn't feel like I fed in. So when I drank alcohol, it filled that hole in the soul. It changed my personality. It gave me confidence. We talk about in the rooms of um, giving us the, the wings to fly. And, um, and it did that. And it enabled me to feel like I could cope with social situations, especially as a young teenager. Mm. Um, you know, today um, I've been sober for... Um, I'm coming up to 12 years of sobriety. And I haven't had a drink since my first meeting. And over that time, you know, I've learnt that um, I've got freedom from um, drinking daily. Uh, when I got sober, I was um, drinking every night and drinking myself in a blackout every night. And that was... Um, I just couldn't understand how a sensible, intelligent woman could continue to do that on a daily basis. There was something wrong with me. And that's why I sought help with the rooms. And today I understand, you know, that underneath my drinking... There's um, this lady who has these um, aspects to her personality that cause me pain. You know, you know, I have, um, and you know, you asked me to explain. You know, I I see it as a threefold disease: body, mind, and spirit. And um, you know, my um, when I drank alcohol, my body loved the alcohol. It gave me that sense of ease and comfort. You know, I was obsessed with alcohol. Um, and um, I've been able to um, have freedom from that through um, coming into Alcoholics Anonymous and um, stopping drinking. And I understand that the um, I have a body 
that when I drink alcohol, it loves the effect and it wants more. So I drink more. Um, and when I'm not drinking, I'm either hungover or I'm planning my next. And it's this, you know, 24-hour cycle of being hungover. I'm never going to drink again, ever. And finding myself, for unknown reasons, back at that bottle shop at night, buying another bottle or two. And, you know, then drinking and drinking a blackout, then waking up hungover in this cycle. So today um, I'm still an alcoholic, though I don't treat my disease with alcohol. Um, I have a spiritual solution to the way I live today and it's putting the tools of the 12-step recovery program. The fellowship is an enormous part of my recovery today, being with like-minded people and we all understand each other. It's an amazing fellowship because, you know... You know, I've heard it. I've heard it said. You know, religion is for those who don't want to go to hell, and spirituality is for those who've been to hell. And each of us have been to our own hell yeah. through alcohol. Yeah. And we've come into the rooms, and we're seeking, um, you know, relief from this will of ours that is um, taking us to a place that we really don't want to be. Alcohol's hurting all of us. Though I love the effect produced by alcohol, and um, and I'm really grateful that I've been able to find freedom from that. And not only in finding freedom, but I've found a whole new way of living. Alcoholics Anonymous has really given me, it's shown, it's opened doors I didn't know existed. And, and you know, we have promises in AA and the promises, you know, have all manifested in my life as a result of putting the disciplines of this program into work um, for me because I don't want to go back to where I came from. I don't want to go back to waking up hungover. No. I don't want to be, you know, in such a state that I have to be drinking myself into blackout each night to cope with my day. Yeah. You know, so I feel really grateful. Yeah, mm. no, it's a good feeling. Mm. Okay, uh, you're listening to Living Free on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on your digital radio. Uh, I'm pleased to be able to advise that we're now podcasting our shows and the 10 recent episodes are available on the Living Free webpage, which is 3cr.org.au forward slash livingfree and also on iTunes. Um, I'll be podcasting each new show and also progressively including some of our earlier shows as time permits. Uh, you can contact us on 3crlivingfree at gmail.com if you want to ask questions or comment about the show. Um, so one, we usually do an announcement at this point, so I'll just do one this week. Um, it's No Pride in Genocide. Don't celebrate 26th of January. 2pm, Saturday 21st of October, Coburg Courthouse, 1A Main Street, Coburg. A uh, range of speakers, uh, three councils in Melbourne and one in WA have voted not to recognise 26th of January on Australia Day. A panel of speakers will discuss these issues. If you need more information, go to greenleft.org.au. Um, we're talking about alcoholism today, and I've got Diane Stew uh, in the studio, and uh, we're talking about, I guess, we've we've covered the bit growing up, getting to... to into your early 20s. So what's it like going, you know, during your 20s and 30s? How, how does alcohol, you know, present itself in your life? And what, what's, the, what, what's the highs and what's the lows as you go through that, that cycle? So, Stu, what, what's it like, you know, being an alcoholic and not realising you're an alcoholic and just trying to drink socially? Yeah, thanks, Bill. Um like back then, I was um, I was young. I still had those mates from school, uh, and my house was a party house. Um, every night of the week, um, 
five or six um, people would come over. They come over with with uh, a slab of beer and pizzas and uh, some marijuana, and we'd sit around and watch the TV um, every night, and um, it just became like Groundhog Day. Um, and uh, and at that time, I couldn't see anything wrong with that behaviour. Um, I was going to work. I was getting up in the morning and uh, having a can before I, I headed off to work. Um, I was going across to the pub at lunch times and drinking at lunch times. And when I got home, I was continuing to drink until I fell asleep at night. Um, and at the time, I couldn't see anything wrong with it. You know, that was just a way of life. Yeah. That was my way of life. And, uh, and and that's the way of life life I wanted to, to live. I was I was very selfish with with what I wanted, and no one was going to stand in the road of that. So I can completely shut out all my family altogether. Right. And those those mates that uh, drunk alcohol with me, they they were my family. Um, and uh, and yeah, as I was saying before, the uh, the, the speeding fines. The drink driving fines. I had uh, uh, two um, offences for drink driving, um, and uh, I had offences for drug offences um, because uh, you seem to attract the, uh, the the strong arm of the law when you when you when you got drugs and, and alcohol yeah. around your house and, and separate notice. Yeah. You know, and 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 at that time I thought that was very unfair. You know, like why were they picking on me? Why weren't they picking on the guy up the road that was dealing the drugs? You know, and um, it was everybody else's fault. You know, I was blaming the world. I was blaming my boss, my job, my past, um, the police. You know, any the weather. You know, and um, just just spiralling out of, more and more out of control and, and but at the same time trying to control everything you know I was I was the actor controlling trying to control the the, the screenplay you know the props the whole lot yeah. and it was difficult very difficult um, but look I managed to get through a, an apprenticeship um, like that um, as a motor mechanic and uh, got a got a job in in the trade and got a job um, on the road um, helping out motorists, um, but continued to um, use alcohol and drugs while I was doing that. And um, looking back on it, that was very irresponsible. I was putting people's lives at risk. But I had that that attitude that um, you know, I was selfish. That's what I wanted in my life. Yeah. And, I, and I put alcohol and drugs before everybody else. You know, yeah. I, had, I had no empathy to other drivers at that time um, and I ended up in a very dark place I ended up um, I thought my, sol- my solution was to get rid of all my friends um, and so I did that you know one day they came over with their beer on their shoulder and the pizza and that and I said I'm sorry but it's not on tonight and they couldn't believe it you know and, they, and so I kicked them all out and I did give up the alcohol for some period of time for about six years wow yeah just and um, you know I found a beautiful wife and I, um, things started going really well. I um, had two kids, um, started a, a business, started putting money in the bank, um, and everything was going going really well for me. Um, but uh, you know, six years later, uh, one of my old mates rung me and uh, said, "I'm in Paran. Uh, do you want to catch up?" And I said, "Sure." And he said, "I'll meet you at the pub." And sure enough, when I came through the door, on the counter was uh, a gin and bit of lemon. One for me and one for him, and it was uh, good. Hey, Stu, remember the old days? And I said to him, 
you know, look, I'm sorry, but I can't do that. I'm an alcoholic. And he said, come on, Stu, just one more for the old days. Remember what it was like, you know. And something in my head said that was all right. Yeah. And, um, you know, that one drink led me to another five years of uh, very intense alcohol. And I actually ended up in a very dark place. I can remember um, uh, being in my back shed. And, um, you know, and, and like uh, you've got to understand that I had a wife and two kids and my wife didn't know any of my, my past behaviours. And so, you know, she was um, confronted with this, with this bloke that she never knew before. <laughs> I bet she was really surprised. <laughs> yeah, she was really surprised, yeah. And, um, and she, she's actually um, an Al-Anon person as well. Okay, so yep. she's, she's, she's received a lot of support through, through Al-Anon. Yeah. Um, but I can remember at one stage being um, in my back shed of a very expensive house in the garden shed with a, uh, an old mattress and uh, just drinking myself to death, you know, and, and being on the floor of my two young children banging on the door saying, Dad, we want to play with you. And uh, I couldn't even get up to play with them. Mm. You know, that was the very dark time of my life. Yeah. It must have been tragic for you. Yeah, it was a very, very tragic time. But, mm. you know, look, I look at that as um, uh, uh, giving me the incentive and the desperation to do something about my disease. Right. And that drove me into becoming... Um, uh, you know, getting help, you know. I was at my rock bottom and uh, getting me into rehab for the first time. Okay. Um, Di, so what was what was it like in your 20s when alcohol was a large part of your life? So what? tell us a bit about, you know, your relationships and how life was going with work and things like that okay. while you were drinking. Okay, all right, I'll give it a go. Um, it's a bit of a boggy past, but... Um so, you know, my late teenage years, um, it was the mid-70s here in Melbourne and um, it was the pub scene, live bands in pubs and um, and so I was working and I was working, um, you know, with my diploma of secretarial studies I got, you know, and I got a job working full-time. Um, but, um, you know, every night we were out, you know, we were out at these pubs seeing live bands. You know, I was 15 years old and I saw ACDC play, you know, at a <laughs> pub in the outer, outer east of Melbourne. But, um, you know, it was like every night of the week and it was relentless. And it was um, like, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights. And, um, and it was drinking before we went out, getting into blackout almost every night and ending up in strange places all the time you know, crawling into work, you know, crawling home, going to work the next day and not really being able to explain what happened the night before and having no understanding really about how I was in the grips of this disease and what it was doing to me. You know, and, and you know, women, you know, young women, <clears throat> you know, getting intoxicated with alcohol constantly, you know, stuff happens to them. You know, they're exposed to harm yeah. because they're very vulnerable, you know, yeah. and... Um, <clears throat> And that just further exacerbates this low self-esteem, you know, and all of the, um, you know, issues with identity of self. Um, you know, for me, um, I started uh, mixing with people that weren't good for me. I found, you know, the lower my self-esteem went, the more I was attracted. I just found myself mixing with people that were getting involved with drugs. I got involved with drugs as well. And... Um, you know, and just uh, then, you know, I got involved with um, the criminal element as well. 
and you know my boyfriends you know have, you know were you know in trouble with police and you know were going to prison and I found myself you know each weekend's driving up to prisons to visit my boyfriends and just being involved in this whole world that my parents knew nothing about. Um, probably, you know, in one way a miracle happened for me is that um, I started, I, I fell pregnant accidentally in 1984 and I have my first baby, a beautiful little girl in 1984 um, with a man that um, I had a relationship with over the next 10 years and I ended up having three children with him. So during the 80s, you know, I was having, I was having babies, but um, I had no um, understanding, you know, that I was an alcoholic and that I was um, affected by this disease in a really significant way. So, um, you know, I wasn't making good choices back then and the man that I chose to have, you know, children with, well, they weren't really choices. They just happened, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, so... You know, it was um, you know it was a relationship that had problems. You know, from the start, because there was drugs and alcohol, and then there was babies and children. Yep. You know, so <laughs> and then there was domestic the violence, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And there was issues in that family, and um, and I knew though because I'd grown up in a home, you know, with parents that had raised me well with the best that they had to have had to give, and I knew that that home was not a good place for children to be in with the domestic violence with the drugs, with the alcohol and with the criminal element that was involved. So um, I made the decision to um, separate from the father of my children and over the next 15 years I raised those children on my own. Um, and he um, he went to prison for a long prison sentence which enabled us to have a fairly normal, my children, to have a fa- our children have a fairly normal childhood. But, you know, throughout that time, you know, there was the party girl was still in me and the party girl and her disease of alcoholism was getting its relief through, you know, these sort of social functions. But, um, yeah, I can see over, you know, from the point that I left him to the point that I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, it was a 15-year period where, you know, the kids and I had a lot of fun, you know, and they did a lot of um, amazing things in their childhood that have given them some good memories, I hope, you know, with all the sports and different things they got involved in. But I also know, you know, that my alcoholism was there, and it reared his ugly head every now and then and I made poor decisions and had people still coming in and out of our life, you know, that weren't good for young children growing up. And um, and really it wasn't until I got to AA and I was and I had a look at I was able to see my my life through clear, sober eyes that I could see. And when I started to do step work and do that fourth step and really take a good close look at myself, I was able to see a lot of the harms that I'd done in my life that um, weren't in the best interest for children to be growing up in, Mm. you know, that, you know, I was a mum who was passionately loved her kids, but I also exposed them to elements that they shouldn't have had to deal with. So, so what brought you to AA? What, what was the thing that caused you to think this has got to end? (laughs) I can't do this any longer. Well, it was my drinking, obviously. Um, You know, I found myself, um, I went back to uni as a mature age student um, when my children were in their late primary school years and I know that I had a lot of inner demons and I didn't know what was wrong with me. I had, you know, a, you know, an ex-husband in prison. I had, you know, my beautiful three children but they were growing into adolescence and we were having some problems. You know, my, my youngest son was very much like me when I was an adolescent and um, he was getting in trouble at school. He got expelled from school 
And I felt as though the family was the cracks were showing and I couldn't fix them. Couldn't pay for them. I couldn't get them to do what I wanted them to do, which was to stop making me look bad. This is the family's, this family's meant to be. And the, and the, the biggest problem I had was that I hadn't looked at my past. I never had an explanation as for all those years of rebellion and expelled from school and all the bad choices that I made and the people that I associated with and the drugs and the alcohol and all of that. Um, so, you know, through um, you know, through coming into AA, the process is I got sober because I desperately needed to stop drinking. I was drinking myself in a blackout every single night of the week. Wow. I was coming home from work, back at that bottle shop, in spite of the fact that that morning I'd woken up and said, I'm not doing this anymore. <clears throat> and it was a vicious cycle, you know, and um, it was insidious. It was, um, and it crept up on me. And it, my drinking crossed a line that I didn't understand. And, um, and you know, before I knew it, I was drinking myself. I was drinking every night of the week and I broke all my rules. You know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, you don't drink alcohol. And I was drinking, yeah. and I was drinking on hangovers, and um, <laughs> and I was getting up, you know, putting on the putting on the persona to the world that I was okay, I was in control, I was a professional because I was working as a professional by then, and I was going into work with that hat on, but I was leaving at five o'clock and going straight to that bottle shop, and there was a lot of pressure on the inside of me, and. Um, and I just had a lot of confusion. My family was... My teenage boys were giving me so much grief, you know. Um, so did, I, you, did you have a partner at that stage? Yes, I did. Yeah. So what, what did they think? Well, he used to raise his eyebrow, raise his eye, you know, when, um, and see some of my drinking. We'd, we were part of a social group and we would have, you know, we'd be going to functions... And, you know, I'd end up, you know, falling or vomiting or, you know, doing something really embarrassing, um, saying inappropriate things, you know, when I was in blackout. Um, you know, and it just, um, I mean, he loved me and he cared about me and he, he stayed with me, but, you know, he, we both knew that I had a problem with the way I was drinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, so... You know, I'm really glad, though, in a way that um, my drinking got bad enough for me to have to do something about the problem. Yeah. And our basic text or our big book talks about alcohol as the great persuader. And the actual alcohol persuaded me that I had a problem that I needed to address. And thank God it got that bad. And my drinking was like that for about two years. And my father died three years before, five years before I got sober as well. And that was one of the markers in my life that really hurt me so much. You know, I just missed him so much. And um, so, you know, coming into AA, I came here for help with my drinking. And little did I realise that I had problems, bigger problems than just the way I drank. Yeah. And that alcohol was <laughs> yeah. but a solution. I've got to get down to causes and conditions, which yeah. is what our basic text teaches us. So, yeah. you know, the alcohol's gone. What's the problem? I should be able to rub my hands together and say, right, that blasted alcohol's gone. But guess what? I found living without alcohol very difficult. Yeah. I found my emotional world just started to crash. I found, you know, that it didn't, just putting the alcohol down, didn't repair the relationships that had been damaged over the last 15, 20 years. It didn't help me with my resentments towards my mum. It didn't help me, help my children forgive me. It didn't stop my rebellious teenage children <laughs> being, acting out. Being kids, yeah. And I yeah. found it, you know, really painful that first year. 
But, you know, that's good because pain's a great motivator. If you're an alcoholic and you're sober, pain will push you in one or two directions. And thank God, you know, it pushed me deeper into the recovery program because I needed to go there because I didn't know how to live sober. Mm. I'd never lived sober. As a young teenage girl, I'd picked it up. I was 46 when I got sober. Um, And there were new lessons to be living that I had to learn. Mm. I didn't know how to have honesty in relationships. I didn't know about forgiveness. I didn't know about... um, Self-honesty, repairing um, the damage done in the past, clearing away the wreckage of the past. I had to identify the wreckage before I could actually um, repair it. And what I've discovered is that um, underneath, you know, um, my drinking, there's a whole lot of behaviour that needed to be looked at through sober eyes and it needed to be worked through, you know, and stuff had happened to me, but I'd done stuff to others, you know, and, Mm. um, and it was a process about growing up. Yes, very much so. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Okay, we might leave it there. Uh, You're listening to Living Free on 3CR Community Radio, on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Um, We're chatting about recovery from alcoholism uh, and I'm joined today by Diane Stew. Um, So we're talking about realising that life's a problem and getting into AA. So... um, Di, how did how did you become aware of AA? Okay, so um, when I was at studying at uni, a lady I became friends with a lady, and um, she um, came to my home because my children all left home two years before I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. Sorry, and um, so she came to stay with me and for a little while and she noticed the way that I was drinking and she just said to me one, one night, Di, if you think you've got a problem with the way that you drink, Alcoholics Anonymous may be able to help you. And she told me a story about her auntie who had passed away but she had 30 years of sobriety and she had her big book and she offered to um, give it to me, which she did. And, um, and she gave me this book that sat beside my bed and I'd go to bed in blackout and drunk most nights and it took me about three months before I actually um, got into the fellowship, but that's how I found out about it. But she planted a seed, and she, what she said was, if you think you've got a problem, not you have a problem, and that was perfect for me because yeah. it allowed me to get to the point of making yeah. that decision myself. And yeah. one Monday morning I just uh, woke up and I just knew that I needed help. I couldn't do this anymore. Right, okay. Uh, so, Stu, how did you... you uh, at the end of last segment, we were just talking about getting into uh, rehab. So, what was the introduction for you to get to get into AA or rehab? Well, the whole process of recovery to get into recovery. Well, you know, I had to hit a pretty pretty big rock rock bottom, Bill, um, and that came in the form of an intervention order taken out by a police officer um, on my wife's behalf. Um, I've been behaving pretty badly and threatening um, my family and police, um, so uh, with physical violence. And uh, I was actually going through a psychotic episode. I'd I'd had a lot of... um, I was actually coming off antidepressants and uh, drinking a lot and um, taking a lot of uh, other drugs as well. So, um, and that was a big wake-up call call for me. It was devastating um, for me to lose my family and to come to the realisation that the, the police had to be involved to protect my family for my behaviour. Yeah. Um, and uh, so part of um, 
before going to court, my solicitor suggested that I um, attend a men's behavioural change um, a, a, in uh, Box Hill, yep. and, um, which I did, and also go to AA meetings and, and get the uh, secretary of the AA meeting to sign a attendance register so I could present that to the court um, uh, to, to try and say that I'd, I'd been working on my own behaviour. Yeah, and uh, you know, and and I thank God for that 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 what happened then because I that forced me to go to an AA meeting, and it forced me to sit down, put my bum on the seat, and I can remember the first person that got up and spoke that day, and he spoke about his choices at school, and the mates that he chose, and um, that just brought me to tears because what I'd done, I'd found somebody that was um, that had the same type of lifestyle that I'd led and that it actually got clean and sober and was living a different life based on the um, the 12 steps of AA and, and, and the principles and practices of AA. So, you know, I'm really, really grateful that I got to that rock bottom. You know, you can always look back on things and, and, um, and, uh, and, 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 you know, be, have guilt, shame, and remorse about it. But I look, 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 look at back at things and look at it on a positive note. That um, you know that was meant to be, and that was a big wake up call for me. Yeah. So did you stay in AA? I didn't stay in AA. Yeah. You know, I went to about ten, um, ten meetings, and I listened to a lot of people talk, and I felt like um, I belong there. But um, you know, a lot of them were in churches, and um, my father was a, a minister. <laughs> And as a child, it's hard, you know, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, he 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 dragged me along to the church, so I, I didn't feel comfortable in that in that situation, um, and um, and uh, it led me away. But you know, as I realise now, you know, the AA is not religious based, um, and it uh, does have a higher power in it, but it's 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 not the God that the I was taught as a child, which was completely different. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So what what's it like in AA now? Uh, how how different is it? How how different is your life now that you don't drink? Now that I don't drink, yeah. Look, um, I've I, I've got a fantastic life today. I, I've I've achieved a lot of things which I never thought I'd achieve. If you would have told me two years ago that you, you you'd have a tertiary education. And you've got to remember, Bill, that this is somebody that burnt the school the, the school, <laughs> school library, library. down, <laughs> left school in, in year 10, uh, left home at 18 years old yep. um, for an apprenticeship. You know, I, I remember my, I was on $96 a week and living out of home. So I had no, no money, for, only money for food and alcohol. And, you know, the alcohol was number one. There wasn't yep. much food going around. Yep. And, um, you know, this, this, this time... For me, I, I, I went and um, enrolled in a, uh, a diploma of alcohol and other drugs, so I could uh, give back and help other people that that were experienced the same type of life experiences what I, that I'd done. Yep. Um, so you know, and I'm doing really well. So um, you know, I'm getting a high distinction. Um, I'm, I'm going on to further studies next year. Um, you know, I have a fantastic relationship with my family. I'm emotionally available for my children. Um, you know, and it's you know, it's like like there's still life difficulties. You know, yeah. I still question, yeah. yeah, yeah, challenges. You know, I still yeah. question, you know, how good a father I am, and <laughs> but you know, at, at, at least I'm not doing that while I'm influenced by alcohol and drugs. Yeah, 
and, and I'm there for my children, you know. I can be in the room and I can be on the floor with my little one, pushing those cars around, making those car noises, rather than being on the side just spaced out and out of it, watching him play, you know. So. Yeah. yeah, that's a good way, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So, um, Di, what's in AA, part of AA is service to others. So what sort of things do you get involved in in AA? Okay, so um, my home group in Heidelberg, um, working with others, is a, you know, we're a very uh, proactive home group and uh, we do a lot of service, a lot of PI, and we go into detoxes and rehabs. We have a roster. Um, we, um, we talk about the steps, for, especially for beginners. We're called a 12-step beginners um, discussion meeting. We... Um, you know, I've gone through the steps quite a few times myself over the years and I've always had sponsorship and today I'm able to sponsor others. Yeah. And um, that's a huge part that um, my dark past is my greatest asset today and yeah. it can actually help yeah. that's right. um, newcomers identify and see in me that there is a solution and that I'm living a good life today and I've been able to find, you know, ways to find peace within and to... Um, and I just love this program, you know, because it's given me tools to live my life today in a way that, um, you know, enables me to have much better quality relationships, you know, with family members. You know, that's where, the you know, powerful amends have taken place for me. You know, my mum, she's ageing, she's still alive, and, you know, she's got a really good relationship with her eldest daughter. And, you know, her troubled daughter is now present and available yeah. and looking after her. Yeah, it's and great, And taking care yeah. of her. And we have a lot of fun together. Um, you know, and I love that. I love it. You know, and I, in a way it's, um, you know, my father passed away before he knew what was wrong with his daughter. But I get to live amends on a daily basis. And I just feel like, you know, I'm doing the right thing. I'm fronting up to life and doing the right thing, you know, with the way that I treat others today because I didn't realise how selfish I was. And, um, you know, and I get to help, you know, I, I just love the gifts that come as a result of going through the steps. They enable people to come out of blindness and to be able to change their behaviour and repair. Like I've helped people that have made amends to their dying mothers, you know, that have, um, you know broken relationships you know that are able to be repaired and that's not through me that's just through the working of these the, these steps and um, having gone through that process myself being able to help others do that and you know one of the big parts of Alcoholics Anonymous I love is travel yeah. and there's always roundups, rallies, anniversaries national conventions, international conventions I've been up through the top end of Australia and canoed down Catherine Gorge. You know, it's six <laughs> canoes full of alcoholics and we have fun. And it says in our basic text that we absolutely insist on enjoying life and newcomers wouldn't want we have if they couldn't see joy in our existence. Yeah. And we do have fun. Yeah, you know? that's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's, the, that's the thing that... Um, and just being available for the family is really important. Correct. You know, because having an alcoholic parent is really destructive yes. for, for children. But seeing a parent come out the other side is really liberating. And you realise, you know, seeing the, the sort of recovery that I've seen people in AA, is just incredible from their stories, where they've come from to where they are now. It's just so uplifting. Correct. And it helped me to get compassion for my dad, for his drinking, to mm -hmm. be able to see what it's like to be an alcoholic and not to be able to stop. 
and realising that that was his situation, that he couldn't stop doing what he was doing because of the alcoholism. It wasn't his willful drinking, it was the fact that he had a disease. And that really helps... It helps a family uh, accept the fact that the, the drinker has a problem rather than is this willful mm. problem themselves. Mm. Um, yeah, so that was really good for me. Mm. So, um, so I think that in summary that if the alcoholic's not ready to stop, nothing will get to them. No. But if they are ready to stop, just being aware that something exists outside, like AA, is a really powerful message. So what, what are the sort of things that you could tell our listeners who who drink and think maybe I've got a problem like what are the what are the what are the things that they can consider well um well bill you know consider um having a life that's um full of um you know um good relationships with your family a life of, of honesty um rather than a life of where you're struggling all the time to 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 on self-will and um, trying to control everything in your life. Like physically, I'm physically healthy, um, I'm, I'm mentally healthy, and um, there's there's a lot of opportunities when when, when um, you're clean and sober. Um, you know, if you're interested in going to an AA meeting, um, just pop your head in, put your put your bum on the seat, and, and check us out. Like, um, you know, and, and listen for the similarities rather than the differences um, to other people that are sharing. Um, also, I'll give a plug to where I work at the moment. It's Riverside Clinic, um, and uh, um, we're a twelve-step based um, uh, rehab in Kyneton. So, and if and that's one of the ways that I got clean and sober was uh, uh, going to rehab. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's yep. good. Okay. Well, we're just about at the end of the show. So. Um, if anybody out there is interested in contacting AA, uh, if you think Alcoholics Anonymous could help you, maybe able to help you, um, then you can phone them on 1300 222 222 or go online to aa.org.au. So that's all we've got time for today. Uh, so I'd like to thank Diane Stewart for coming into the 3CR studio and sharing their Alcoholics Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank, thank you. you, Bill. Thank Thanks, you. Bill. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovering from drug addiction and we'll be joined by some members of Narcotics Anonymous. Thanks for listening to Living Free program today, but stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Black Betty, uh, Kerry Lee, and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective.